My name is Miles Cheadle, and welcome back to another episode of the PS Plus. This is a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to the postscript. Now, on that podcast, pastor and host Brandon Briscoe speaks with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. And here on this podcast at PS Plus, we cover more focused topics in a series format. And right now, we're moving through a series focused on Jesus Christ. This is our second, take that back, wow guys, this is our third episode in the series. In our last episode, we discussed the birth of Christ, and today, we'll discuss unique perspectives that each of the four gospel accounts offer. And so, let's do this thing. Guys, I'm really excited about this episode. It may sound like a complete snooze fest but it's actually a really fascinating topic. Uh, You know, I think about Genesis and we read in Genesis chapter one and two, the account of creation. And it takes up two full chapters and we see these passing comments like in Genesis chapter one, verse 16, where it says that God made the stars also. You know, just kind of a, a passing comment, a little subtle humble brag here, no big deal. God's just hanging the stars in the cosmos. He doesn't even spend a full sentence on it. And what I really want to point out here is that God allocated two chapters to the creation restoration account, and yet he designated 89 chapters to detail the ministry of Jesus between four different authors. And so this is a big deal. This is over a third of our New Testament. It's a lot of real estate in scripture. And to put it plainly, we can't have a serious study of the person of Jesus without studying his life, and his ministry. And that's within these four gospel accounts. And so understanding the perspectives that each of these four gospels offers, it really sets up context. It gives us a structure and a framework as we begin to study the passages and attempt to understand both the historical and the doctrinal application and and context. And like a beautiful harmony, these four accounts, they work together to offer something very, very beautiful. And, you know, I admit that I don't know anything about music, but I used to study art history. And one of my favorite classes that I studied was Caveman to Cathedrals. So my instructor, he was this old Jewish guy. And this was a a survey style class that did kind of a broad brush overview of, of art history. And what set his course apart from any other was that he was a practitioner. You see, my college, they had this unique agreement with the local art museum to have a joint appointed staff member. And so that meant that the museum paid for half of his salary and got half of his time. And my university paid for half his salary and got half of his time. And his class, it was so exciting because it wasn't just theory. He wasn't just flipping through slides in a dark room. These were real art objects that he had actually handled. These were real geographical locations that he'd actually been to. And these were real historical times. And he brought them to life in the classroom. And so the reason I bring up Dr. Cohen is because of this phrase I first heard from him when studying Egyptian art. Whenever we were looking at this Egyptian relief, he described it as depicting simultaneously multiple points of view. And I'm going to repeat that for you. Simultaneous multiple points of view. And it was a really fascinating call out because, you know, a lot of people look at Egyptian art 
and, and they write it off as childish or kind of more of caricature when compared to some of, you know, the, the great Renaissance paintings or, or realism. But conceptually, Egyptian artwork is actually very deep, you know, so much so that guys like Brock and, and Picasso would tap into it centuries later and bring it to contemporary relevance. But essentially what they were doing was using one two-dimensional frame to show multiple perspectives of the same subject matter all at once. It was genius. Although it can be kind of quirky to look at, it actually allows the painter to convey more information and to provide more depth than could be accomplished from just one perspective. And because God is a genius, he took a very similar approach to the life and ministry of Jesus. For people living in a four-dimensional world, height, width, depth, time, he gave us four unique perspectives of the life and ministry of Jesus. And together, they offer more information and more depth than could ever be accomplished from just one. And so the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four very different men, some who walked with Jesus, Matthew and, and John, and others who didn't, like Mark and Luke, all of whom were inspired by the Spirit of God to pin the Word of God, which is preserved for us today. And again, I'll warn you that this is such a big topic to tackle in this time frame. And so we're going to take a very high-level kind of overview approach, uh, but it starts with kind of a, a fun place. It's a uh, maybe a different place to, to, to start this topic at. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 4. So in Revelation chapter 4, we get a glimpse into the throne room in heaven. And y'all, I hate when people throw around words like awesome flippantly, but this is awesome. You know, people use awesome to describe things like burgers, but read Revelation chapter 4. In verse 6, in the midst of the throne are four beasts full of eyes, flying with six wings that rest not day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now that is awesome. In verse 7, it tells us that the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And this may seem like a really random passage to begin in, given our subject matter today. But this passage, it highlights four beasts that will be used to parallel four gospels in a really fun way. You see, these four beasts around the throne room of God, they not only continually offer praise to God, but they continually bring God glory by revealing aspects of his character. These four beasts become a lens to view the four Gospels through. And so let's dive in and see where this study takes us. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, the first beast was like a lion. And just as the first beast was like a lion, well, so is our first Gospel. The first Gospel account in your New Testament is the Gospel of Matthew. And this account portrays Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Christ the king, the king of Jews. Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, and this understanding is crucial. And it's evident just as you start to read the book of Matthew. 
you know, many people, they get turned around in the book of Matthew. They read New Testament and assume that the gospel of Matthew is written to the church. But understand that the audience is Jewish and that this historical account was under the dispensation of the law. The account is descriptive and not prescriptive, meaning this describes what took place, but it's not necessarily prescribing doctrine or actions for us today. Matthew is the beginning of a transition from the Old Testament and the law to the dispensation of grace and the church. This Jewish perspective is a crucial aspect to be aware of. And from the very beginning of the book of Matthew, we can see this playing out. You see, Matthew begins with the legal lineage of Christ through Joseph. And the first 17 verses in the book of Matthew detail Christ's lineage. And Matthew summarizes really all of this in the first verse, where it says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So from the get-go, Matthew is establishing not only Christ's Jewish heritage from Abraham, but details through David his right to the throne and really begins to position him uniquely to fulfill messianic prophecies. And this was a big deal. You see, the Jews historically were obsessive historians and thorough at documenting lineages for millennia. And so beginning in this way, would hook the attention of a Jewish audience immediately. Matthew also obsessively referenced the Old Testament through both direct quotes and allusions in a manner that none of the other Gospels can even compete with. Really, few books, maybe only Romans in the New Testament, has as many references to the Old Testament as the book of Matthew. And again, he, he knows his audience would be familiar with the law and the prophets, and he uses this information as supportive proof to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And so, you know, we see over 60 references to the Old Testament in 28 chapters in the book of Matthew, through both direct quotes and through allusions. And so understanding this perspective, it's crucial and will help us, you know, this and a proper hermeneutic pull away some incredible insights from the book of Matthew. And immediately I think of the phrase kingdom of heaven. This is one of those unique phrases that appears exclusively in the gospel of Matthew. And if you trust your commentaries, most will just say that this phrase is synonymous with the phrase kingdom of God. But the key to the word of God are the individual words of God. And the word God and the word heaven are not the same. And guess what? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are not the same. So for, for time's sake, you know, we, we can't do an intensive study on this today, but you should run the cross-references. And what you're going to find is that the kingdom of heaven is in reference to a physical kingdom, which Israel is still anticipating to this day. Like read Romans 9 through 11. God is not done with Israel. And he made some really incredible promises in the Old Testament dealing with the seed and with the land, and he hasn't forgotten them. Matthew emphasizes this kingdom and the promises to the nation of Israel. And this is unique. Again, the, the other gospel accounts don't mention the kingdom of heaven. Instead, there's a focus on the kingdom of God. 
And as you run the references for the kingdom of God, it is clearly in reference to a spiritual kingdom. God is spirit. And so this is one of those subtle nuances in the book of Matthew that make complete sense once you understand the audience. The book of Matthew has a very Jewish focus. It presents Jesus as the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. This is how Matthew lines up with the beast likened to a lion in Revelation chapter 4. And so remember, the second beast from Revelation chapter 4 was like a calf. And this second gospel is a gospel of Mark. And this gospel presents Jesus as the servant, Christ the servant. And so just as an ox or a calf works the field in service to his master, in this gospel, Jesus is presented as a humble servant. In this way, the gospel of Mark was written to a Roman perspective, to the common man. And remember that at this time, over half of the Roman Empire was made of slaves. And so the emphasis here isn't on Jesus' teachings or sermons, but it's on his actions. The Gospel of Mark records more miracles than any other gospel. It's action-packed. It's like a comic book. In this first half of the narrative of the book of Mark, we see Jesus in his service to others through miracles and healings. In the second half, we see Jesus in service to others through personal sacrifice, literally giving his life for the world. And all this was written by Mark. And I don't know if you guys know Mark's story or not, but it's really interesting. In, in Acts chapter 15, Paul is determined that, that Mark cannot go on this missionary journey with him. Paul decided that Mark is an unprofitable servant. And so he didn't want him to have any part of the mission. And yet, fast forward to the end of Paul's life, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Jesus took the weakness of Mark and allowed it to become his strength. Whereas before he was an unprofitable servant, now Mark, the profitable servant, is used by the Spirit not only to minister to Paul, but to tell us the story of the ultimate servant in Christ. And so the lion represents Jesus as the king of the Jews. And this calf, it represents Jesus as a lowly servant. In Revelation chapter 4, next we're introduced to a beast with the face of a man. And you guessed it, it lines up perfectly with Luke's gospel, which shows Jesus as the perfect man. And what better person to write this account than Luke, who was a medical physician in the first century? And so like Matthew, this account begins with a genealogy. But rather than emphasizing Abraham or David, the emphasis in this genealogy is Adam. Jesus' genealogy ties the perfect person, the perfect man in Christ, all the way back to the first man, Adam. In this account, we get the most detail about Christ's life, through his birth, through his childhood, about his death, and even just about his emotions, about his feelings, right? And I love the way that 
Luke writes this. It's very thoughtful. It's very precise. It's very polished and it's full of these beautiful literary techniques. He uses, you know, this fantastic use of, of parallelism. Luke utilizes a number of unique words that aren't found in any other place in scripture. You know, he uses these precise medical terms as he's detailing the events of these miraculous healings. This was written to a Greek mind. It's very intellectual. And Luke states as much in his first chapter in addressing Theophilus, who apparently commissioned Luke to gather the details of Christ's life and to write this and to put it together. He states that the purpose that he did this is that Theophilus might know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Alrighty, guys, I can feel my pace picking up, but I'm so determined to get through all four gospel accounts. You know, my wife didn't think I can do it, and yet here we are, introducing the last beast and the last gospel. And so in Revelation chapter 4, the final beast was one with the likeness of an eagle, and it represents the Son of God or the deity of Christ. Just as an eagle flies in the heavens, Jesus came from heaven to earth. This gospel was written for everyone. And it's maybe the most natural to transition us into the book of Acts and to introduce to us the church. In this gospel, we see that Jesus came to do the will of the Father. And this gospel most clearly emphasizes his deity. John literally begins with this, with his eternal nature. In John chapter 1, we see in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God, but not only that, he was the God of creation. The gospel of John is different than any of the other three gospels. Again, it most clearly emphasizes that Jesus has come from above, has come from heaven, is here to do the will of the Father. It makes clear his deity. And so, as much as I want to dive in a little bit deeper in the Gospel of John, you can do the homework for yourself. Today we looked at four Gospels, four authors, four unique perspectives, and yes, four beasts. But we looked at one Lord and Savior. Each Gospel account reflects a different aspect of Christ's ministry. And together they harmonize and they provide to us with the certainty of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in such a way that all of us are without excuse. And so as I end, my invitation to you is to walk with Jesus. Know the King and his righteousness through the Gospel of Matthew. Embrace the servant and his humility and his strength through the Gospel of Mark. Study the perfect man, our friend and our brother in the Gospel of Luke. In reverence, the Son of God, come from heaven and his deity in the Gospel of John. When is the last time that you simply sat down and walked with Jesus through the Gospels? So as we end, I want to thank you again for listening to another episode of the PS Plus. And I want to invite you to join us again next time as we introduce Jesus as prophet and study his miracles in the Gospels. God bless. Yeah.